Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kiebman. It's great to be with you here this wonderful afternoon, as we're celebrating Chol Hamoed Sukkot, coming from these most joyous celebratory holiday that we're in, and of course as the holiday of Pesach. So to hear on Sukkot, we have these intermediary days called Chol Hamoed, which are a weekday festival, and they're known as the intermediate days because certain forms of work that are forbidden on Yom Tov are permissible on these days of Cholamayit. Of course, though, it is an opportune time for families. Many people take off work and spend time with their children, bonding, gathering together. We have our Chabad Seniors programs. We've been taking the Sikkimobile all around town, and my kids have been joining us with bringing the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog to so many seniors in our community at the various retirement facilities and a grand seniors Purim party was had at Chabad House. So this is the way to celebrate, bringing the joy of the festival to others. And we continue to eat in our sukkah during this time. We say the brachas and lulav and esrig each day. We recite the hashanas during these days of Chalamayad. And the prayers are pretty similar than ev- as every other day. But for Simchas Beis Eva, the evening celebrations, we have music and singing and dancing and entertainment. And then the final day, the last day of sukkah is called Hashanah Rabbah. Judaism teaches that the final judgment related to rainfall during the coming year is made on Hoshana Rabbah. And that's why there are several traditions that are associated specifically with the day of Hoshana Rabbah. Before Hoshana Rabbah, we collect or you could purchase five willow branches for each member of your family and we bind them together. And this is one of the special customs that are done called Hoshanas. If possible, what you do is you strip a branch off of your lulav and take that strip, and you're going to now uh, strip it around. Uh, what's the word? Circle. Uh, create a ring around from that strip into the narrower strips, and use these narrower strips to bind the five willow sets into a single bunch. This will be the aravas, the willows that are used for clapping hashanas, which we are going to do on hashanaraba. Many people have a custom that this evening of preceding Hashanah Rabbah, we read the entire book of Devarim. We review the entire Deuteronomy of the entire last book of the Torah, and we cite the entire book of Tehillim after nightfall on the eve of Hashanah Rabbah. Now, Tehillim is specifically recited after midnight, so it's a late night custom, and this is something that's done on the evening of Hashanah Rabbah. Before chanting Hallel and Shul on Hashanah Rabbah day, many people remove the rings that are directly around the lulav. I'm not talking about the rings that are holding your Hadassim and Aravas, the willows and myrtles, onto the lulav, but rather the two, or according to some customs, three rings that are bound to the lulav itself. And after Hallel is where the prayers get a little bit longer than usual. We were reciting Hashanahs every day of Chalamayed, but in the previous six days, we read only one paragraph per day and made only one circuit, one revolution around the Bima. But on Hashanah Rabbah, we're going to read all seven paragraphs again, beginning from the very first one and concluding with the last. And then as we read each paragraph, we're going to parade, we're going to march again around the Bima for a total of seven hakafas, seven circuits around the Bima. And this is symbolic of the seven times that Jews marched around Yericho, the city of Jericho, before Hashem performed the wonderful miracle of shattering the walls 
of Jericho, as is mentioned in the book of Joshua in Tanakh, fabulous story about the original conquest of the land of Israel. And then after you're going to read the seventh passage, the seventh paragraph of the Hashanahs, we conclude the Hashanahs prayers. We beseech God for a year of plenty, a year of rainfall. And this prayer is something that is read only on this specific day. And at the very end of that, every family member, wherever it's at shul, it's done, where you're going to take your Hashanahs, your group of five willows, your bunch, and you're going to clap them on the floor. We flog them on the ground. And this striking of the Hashanahs on the ground is something that's a Kabbalistic idea. Although I do believe that it's mentioned that it's a custom that's universal, not only those who follow the Kabbalistic, mystical aspects of Judaism. And it's symbolic of the idea of bitl, of nullifying any of the negativity or any of the severity that was that perhaps was in our judgment, because this day of Shanarava is the final day of appeals for a verdict for a good year. And please, God, we all merit a great year ahead with abundant blessings of material and spiritual well-being for each and every single one of us. So by taking the Arava, and the Rava, remember, is the one of the four kinds that, so to say, has no taste and no smell, symbolic perhaps of somebody who doesn't have good deeds and doesn't have Torah study, but yet we know that without the Arava, we're still, our four kinds are incomplete. And likewise, in a similar sense, by taking the Aravot and the Aravot, in fact, grow in unity themselves. So they have a symbolism of unity in the very existence. And what we're going to do is eliminate. We remove the severity, the, the I guess, signs of, of Gevura. And this is one of the customs that are done in Hashanah Rabbah. It's also customary to enjoy a special meal in the sukkah on this day. As we still live in the sukkah, many people enjoy in their meals very different. There's this kreplach and uh, what do we call the cabbage, stuffed cabbage. Is a, I'm forgetting the name for this. How, how, how do you like that? But the stuffed cabbage and we eat that on Hashanah Rabbah as well. What's the name of those stuffed cabbage? Okay, feel free to send me a WhatsApp and I will remember by then what that's called. Um, chalavchus. There you go. Chalavchus. Thank you for that. Chalavchus. We enjoy the chalavchus as well in our lunch. It's customary on this day. And perhaps the symbolism of that is just like we're talking about this idea of trying to ensure that we will have a good and pleasant sweet year. The meat is symbolic of the attribute of gavura, of discipline, of severity. And by surrounding it with a sweet sauce and cabbage, we want to sweeten any judgment. We want to sweeten the judgment for the coming year. So that is perhaps part of the idea of why that's done on this day, the day of appeals, the final day, the verdict. And from the holiday of Sukkot, as the Yomtev of Sukkot draws to a close after seven days of celebration, as we've been enjoying very, very much, but it doesn't end here because we are going to ride straight into a new set of festivals called Shemini Atzeres and Simchas Torah. Literally, Shemini Atzeres can be translated as restriction on the eighth day. The simple meaning is that on the eighth day, we're restricted from working. It's Atzeret. But 
Even more so, you know, in the temple, in the Beit HaMikdash, during the seven days of Sukkot, Jews brought a total of 70 bullock offerings to pray for the 70 root nations of the world. And this is something discussed in the Gemara and Tractic Sukkot. Yes, we know there are more than 70 nations in the world, but since all descend from the children of Noah, and the Torah enumerates 70 nations established by Noah's descendants, so we consider them as the root nations of all people. And so the Jewish nation, we are goyachad pa'aretz, we're different. We stand alone because although we too descend from Noah, but our nation is not included in the Torah's 70 nation count. And as we know, throughout our history, we always were apart and different in so many ways. And that's not something to be in any way despised. This is a matter of standing tall and proud like our lulav with a tall and strong spine, proud of our identity. So the seven days of Shavuos, of Sukkot, excuse me, we offered sacrifices for all the nations of the world. And on Shemini Atzeret, this final day, only one offering was brought, and that's representing the Jewish nation. So Shemini Atzeret, in a way, celebrates the unique relationship between God and the Jewish people. And this, Rashi tells us, it's like children who are taking leave of their father. And the father says, Kasha alai pridaschem, it's difficult for me to part with you. For my sake, the father asks, please postpone your departure, remain with me just for another day or so. So for seven days, every nation of the world is represented in our celebrations. And now at the end of Sukkot, when the party's about to end, we're about to go home, God asks us to remain one more day, to enjoy this intimate party with him, a one-on-one celebration with God. That's Shemini Atzeret. What's Atzeret? The restriction of Shemini, the eighth day. Because after seven days, God asks us to restrict our movement, to remain in place for one more day for God's sake, that we connect with Hashem. And the Gemara tells us, that, I guess the same idea, this analogy about a, a, a king who has all of these ministers and diplomats and government officials who all come. There's a big conference, a convention, a United Nations meeting. You know, this is the, usually around Sukkot time, the UN holds its big policy conference in New York. So this is the big policy conference. But at the end of the conference, the king says to his children, it was nice for me to gather with all the diplomats and, and all the other important individuals. But now you pray for the nations for seven days, right? At least at now it's time that we have a day for us to bond and connect. And think about it for these seven days, we reveled in the revelation of the deep bond that we forged with God and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Shemini Atzeres is a day to absorb and internalize this depth so that we can become integrated with it, that we can be suffused and permeated by it permanently for the entire rest of the year. And so in that sense, Atzeres means to restrict the unbridled flow, that, that, that uh, divine revelation, and we could absorb it and internalize it now. Shmini, you know, the number eight represents transcendence. Seven symbolizes the cycle of creation. Eight represents transcendence. What goes above creation represents the creator. Shmini Atzeres means absorbing that transcendence that we go above. The seven nation, the seven days we symbolized the 70 nations of the world offering sacrifices for each one of them. But now we are standing on our own ground. We're here for us. And so, my friends, although it's called Shmini, the eighth, but it actually, in a sense, is not really just the eighth day of Sukkot. There's an aspect of it that 
in a sense, is an independent festival. Because Sukkot was, we're, we're, we're praying for all the nations of the world, right? But Shemini Atzeres is focused on our, day, on our people, on our nation. It's important, you know, as a rabbi, spend a lot of time in the community caring for others, doing so much that we are here for the community in so many ways. But there has to be some time that we give to our own children as well. And this is the idea of Shemini Atzeres, where we focus, where we're internalizing the messages of the past period. And so, in a sense, there are some differences, distinctions between the previous days of Yom Tov and Shemini Atzeres. And Shemini Atzeres, there's no longer a mitzvah to actually sit and eat in the sukkah, even though many people, including the Chabad customers, that we still eat in the sukkah and Shemini Atzeres, but we're not going to recite the bracha, Leishev Basukkah, during this time, because it's not actually a mitzvah to eat in the sukkah and Shemini Atzeres. And in that sense, it has a different name. In Kiddush, and in the Amidah for the past week, we've been saying Chag HaSukkot, the festival of Sukkot. And now we're going to say Shmini HaTzeret HaChagazah. Right? We're going to, it, it, it is an independent, different name. So although it is the eighth day of this festival, it has its own independent celebration and it's referred to as such in the prayers. And we, in fact, if you notice the end of Pesach, we don't say Shechianu, whereas at the end of Sukkot, we do recite the Shechanu blessing because it's a new holiday and it generates its own joy. On Sukkot, we're saying Shechianu every day because there were different numbers of sacrifices of Kabbanas that we brought each day. Not because each day was an independent Yom Tov. On Shemini Atzeres, we're reciting Shechianu because it is an independent Yom Tov of its own. And even more so, you know, in Israel, Shemini Atzeret and Simchas Torah are going to be one day celebrated together. But here, outside of Israel in the diaspora, we're going to have two separate days. First, the Shemini Atzeret, and the second one, Simchastara, two separate days. And you think about this, why would we do that? And the reason we tack on an extra day takes us back to the times when the Jewish calendar was arranged monthly by the Sanhedrin, by the Jewish high court. By Torah law, a new month is declared by the Sanhedrin after two witnesses testify that they observed the new moon on the previous night, and if the witnesses did not appear and the Sanhedrin did not declare a new month, then the previous month would automatically extend to 30 days. So a Jewish calendar month could either be 29 or 30 days. Till today, even while we have an established calendar as it was composed and created by Hillel, and a new month would begin the next day. So it's either 29 or 30 days, depending on the witnesses when they sighted the new moon and spread the message. Now, knowing when the month began is actually very important, it was critical because that dictated the timing of when the festivals would be, when would Pesach, when would Sukkot be, would they fall on the 15th of the respective months, basically those are the only holidays that are mid-month. Now the Sahedran, they would dispatch runners to all the Jewish communities in order to inform them when the month began. It was a very intricate system with fires that were lit on the mountaintops, but there was a problem because those fires at some stage were being forged by certain people who were trying to interfere. So they had to be authentic messengers that were bringing the message around. But there were many Jewish communities that were beyond a 10-day journey from Israel. There were Jewish communities that lived in India and Spain and in other places. And those people, the people who were running to inform those communities, how would they get the message to them? They had no choice but to celebrate two days, the day that would have been the festival if that would be the 15th of the month, if the previous month was 29 days, or the following day, because they didn't know which day, was it a 29-day month or 30-day month previously? Of course, today, the months are determined according to the calendar that we know, which was established by Hillel long ago, and because of that, 
because that calendar, the way it was created, it was decided that always outside of Israel, we will still add a day to our holiday to respect the traditions of our forebearers. And I guess to have a distinction, a separation between Israel and the diaspora. But of course, every aspect of Torah, although there's the literal understanding, the rational level, which we explain, but there's also a more spiritual or perhaps a deeper, more mystical perspective. And perhaps we can understand the additional day of Yom Tov outside of Israel as, in fact, an advantage. Every holiday has a unique form of spiritual nourishment for our soul. On Pesach, it's the aura of freedom to transcend our limitations. Just as our ancestors were emancipated from their bondage, from their slavery in Egypt, they were liberated on that day. We too can tap into that liberation in our sense today as well. And on Shavuos, the ability to delve deeper and more better to understand the Torah than ever before as God gave the Torah on that day. And we relive that very same energy is present on the holiday itself. And here in Sukkot, we have the ability to deepen our relationship with God through joy. It's man simchasenu. Now, Israel is the Holy Land, right? When a Jew is in Israel, the soul opens to holiness like a flower to the sun. It's just automatic. You're there. You experience it. You feel it. So the soul can be nourished more quickly in the Holy Land. But we're outside of Israel. And the soul is not on that same level. We're not as in tune. It's less vibrant. It takes longer to channel spiritual nourishment into our soul here in the diaspora. So this is the spiritual reason for extending the Yom Tov by one day outside of Israel, giving us an opportunity to really permeate our souls in a sense. And that is, in a sense, it sounds like a disadvantage, right? That we're less holy than Israel. But the truth is, everything in Judaism, we have to see every challenge as an opportunity. And so living as we do here in diaspora, in a more mundane and less holy atmosphere, it actually offers us the opportunity to inject holiness into the mundane. Think about this tremendous advantage that we have here to transform the mundane into something holy, which is something in Israel they can't do. That's not an opportunity that's available to them in the Holy Land. And so when we get this additional day of Yom Tov here, a day that was meant to be an ordinary weekday, and in Israel, in fact, it will be just a weekday. But here, diaspora, we have the advantage that we're able to transform a weekday into a holy and joyous day. And this transformational element gives us this benefit. One benefit you could, th- you could think of being outside of Israel. Because, of course, ideally we all want to be in the Holy Land. We want to be in Eretz HaKodesh. But instead of viewing the being in diaspora as a disadvantage, let us see that here there's an opportunity, an advantage that it's not as that we're unfortunate that we don't have the ability to process the holiday as quickly as the Jews in Israel do, but see that from an optimistic and more positive perspective that we Jews in the diaspora are fortunate for the opportunity to transform the mundane into holiness. And we'll be right back after these messages. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiban. It's great to be with you here this wonderful afternoon. And as we are approaching the culmination, the conclusion of this beautiful Sukkot festival, the last day of this festival is called Simchas Torah, which means the joy of the Torah. Because on this day, we're going to read the last portion of the Torah, portion of Zot HaBracha. In Israel, of course, as we said before, this is going to be done on Shmini Atzeret. But here outside of Israel, it's done the next day on Simchas Torah. 
Every Shabbos in Shul, of course, we read the weekly Torah portion. And we time it so that the entire Torah is completed in a year, right? We begin on the Shabbos that follows Simchas Torah, Shabbos Bereshis, and we end on Simchas Torah each year. Now, the timing of our cycle is quite curious. It would make sense to begin the cycle at the beginning of the year, wouldn't it? Right? If that's not possible because we're too busy with Rosh Hashanah, then let's begin the Shabbos after Shavuos when we receive the Torah. Wouldn't that be a more appropriate time to begin the cycle of the Torah? Why do we begin the cycle of Torah reading after Sukkot? And the answer, my friends, is that the tablet, the Luchas, upon which God had inscribed the Ten Commandments, which God gave us on Shavuos, we know those did not survive. Moshe shattered them. Forty days after God gave us the Torah on Shavuos, Moshe came down the mountain carrying the two tablets. And when he beheld our ancestors worshipping a golden calf, he hurled those tablets to the ground and shattered them. And so, my friends, as we discussed last week about Yom Kippur, we know the Yom Kippur is the day that God forgave the Jewish people from the sin of the golden calf. And that was on the tenth day of Tishrei, which is why it was designated as Yom Kippur, a day of atonement. It's on that day on Yom Kippur that God gave Moshe a second set of tablets to replace the tablets that Moshe had shattered. And so these tablets remained to the Jewish people in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Aron HaKodesh, which was in the Holy of Holies of the Besamekdash. And since these tablets were the ones that did endure, we begin our cycle of Torah meeting as close as we can to Yom Kippur, rather than Shavuos or even the beginning of the year. Practically speaking, we want it to be after Yom Kippur, so that it is connected to the tablets that endured. Now, we know that though the first te- the first set of tablets was a wonderful gift, but it was later rejected by those who worshipped the golden calf. The second set of tablets was actually more precious in a sense, because the people had, absor- had actually allowed themselves to absorb them. And when they received the first set, they were new to the Torah. Their loyalty was untested. They had no idea how enduring their loyalty actually would be. In fact, we know that 40 days later when they experienced the first test of their loyalty, they were unfaithful, they betrayed God, they worshipped the golden calf, they failed. It was only after they repented for the sin of the golden calf and the sin was forgiven that they discovered the durability of their commitment to God. Even if they're tested and succumbed to temptation, they do all they can to rehabilitate their connection with God. So receiving the second set of tablets in Yom Kippur, that demonstrated that Judaism was not just a passing fad, something that they just, yeah, it's cool, but done with that. But actually they'd integrated it into their very being. And that's why we complete the Torah reading as close as we can to Yom Kippur. But then again, you wonder, why don't we begin it on the Shabbos immediately after Yom Kippur? Why wait until after Sukkot? And the simple answer is that there isn't always a Shabbos between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Some years we do have, some years we don't. So when we do, we read the portion of Hazinu then. And so on each Yom Tev, we know that we're going to read the special selections from the Torah that are related to the Yom Tev. So the very first opportunity that we all actually have after, after Yom Kippur to start the Torah fresh, that it's not a Shabbos that's on a Yom Tev, in each year's calendar cycle would be the Shabbos after Sukkot. But more than that, you know, everything, of course, has a spiritual aspect of it. And considering all the spiritual bonding we did with God, which we achieved on Yom Kippur, and we were granted atonement and forgiveness for whatever ways we didn't behave in the past year, that we celebrated and was revealed 
during the Sukkot festival. So before we begin the cycle of the Torah reading, we want to reveal and revel in the depth of our relationship with God, which is exactly what we do during Sukkot. And we also want to channel this holiness into our mundane daily routines, which is, of course, the hallmark of Sukkot, the ordinary activities of our day becoming a mitzvah, become uplifted, holy, sanctified, when we don't just do them, but we do them in the Sukkah. And therefore, we complete the Torah on Simcha's Torah after spending this time reveling in our deeper connection, our newfound love with Hashem. So this is the festival of Simcha's Torah when we are going to spend our time in shul and celebrating this festive holiday. Many people have a custom already on Shemini Atzer at night to actually begin with mini hakafot. And I guess that's probably, I've never been to Israel for the holiday, but I assume that that's probably what's done in Israel is that they probably do the full hakafot, the circuits, the dancing with the Torah on Shemini Atzer at night. The fact that's the Chabad custom to do on both nights, we take the Torah scrolls out of the ark, we hold them in our hands, we dance and we celebrate and Every time we engage in a mitzvah that takes a while to complete, the day on which it's completed is actually a joyous celebration. It's a joyous occasion. We call it a siyum, the culmination, the conclusion um, and celebration of that activity. And this is especially true when we're completing the reading of the entire, of the entire Torah as we've done in the past year. This is the siyum. This is the culmination and the celebration of what we've been doing the entire year. So Simchas Torah is in fact one of the happiest days of our calendar. And we dance and many communities were dancing lasts well into the night. As a child, I grew up in seven, at 770, the shul of the Rebbe, where there was a tremendous celebration and joy. The ecstatic celebrations of Sukkot were incomparable. We're not just celebrating the completion of the Torah cycle. We are celebrating the Torah itself, which is why we don't open the Torah and study from it when we celebrate. We celebrate by dancing with it. The Torahs remain closed while we dance. It's our way of demonstrating that the Torah belongs to every single one of us, to every single Jew equally, whether you're learned or unlearned. Had we celebrated the Torah by offering deep and complex lectures on the Torah, then it could only have been enjoyed by this scholarly, erudite, wise sages, the people who actually study and understand and comprehend the Torah. But by expressing our celebrations in a physical way, by dancing and holding it, then everyone, the simpleton dancing alongside the scholar, every individual, the entire community, every one of us is part of the celebration. And it's an expression of absolute unity that the Torah is the inheritance and the heritage of every single Jew. And the truth is that our bond of the Torah transcends even the scholars among us. Because after all, the Torah is divine wisdom, which far exceeds our own. And as much as we could grasp the Torah, as much as we could comprehend it, it's not even a drop in the bucket of the Torah's infinite wisdom, divine wisdom. And so when we, when God gave us the Torah, it wasn't only a gift of divine wisdom. It was a gift of Hashem himself. God invested himself into the Torah. The very first commandment, Anochi, is an acronym of the words, which means God invested his very essence, his self in the Torah. Now, this can't be understood or celebrated intellectually. We celebrate with our entire beings, every fiber of our being. We grab the Torah, we dance with it, lifting ourselves off the floor, our entire body celebrating the gift of the Torah. In fact, the Torah encompasses our entire being and it touches our very, very essence. In fact, it is said that in Silchas Torah, we become extensions of the Torah. The Torah dances through us. We become the Torah's feet and the connection between us and the Torah 
becomes seamless. We are one entity with each other. So we're going to do these celebrations. Like I said, in Israel, it is one day, 24 hours, but here we get 48 hours. And so people will celebrate starting already Shmini Atzer at night. But most shuls are going to celebrate the main celebrations on Simchat Torah evening, even Simchat Torah, as well as Simchat Torah morning. And uh, in Israel, it would be both in the evening and morning of Shmini Atzer. But outside of Israel, celebrations are held on the evening and morning of Simchat Torah. And this is a, a, one of the greatest, most momentous occasions of the entire world, of the entire year for us to be celebrating. And it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. One that should not be mixed at all. In fact, most shuls will probably have great celebrations. I know at our shul, you're welcome to join us. We have a grand Simchas Torah bash every year with a great braai and what do we do? We begin by reading the 17 passages of Atta Haresa Ladat, that you have been shown to know that God, Hashem is, Hashem Huelikim, that Hashem is our God, and there's none beside them. Each passage that we read, we all gather together, and a different person from the community is honored with reading aloud each one of the passages, and everybody repeats it as a congregation. And when we've completed all the 17 passages, we repeat them, it's done three times in the Chabad custom, and there's often singing and dancing after reciting the, each of the Ataresas. And we take the Torah scrolls out of the ark, and each scroll is assigned for someone else to carry. If it's a small little communal shul as ours is, everybody gets to carry and dance at the Torahs. In fact, probably in the bigger shuls too, I imagine we try to give everyone an opportunity to hold the Torah, to dance with it and sing. And the people carrying the scrolls parade around the beam of the shul and everyone follows along and the children hold flags. And as we circle the bima, the first person in line leads the congregation in reciting the passages of each of the hakafas. And with these passages, as we conclude each one, the entire congregation sings and dances with this tremendous joy and celebration. And at the end of each dance, other people in the group are assigned the honor of holding another Torah, circling the bima, and leading each of the subsequent recitations and the dances, the circuits around the bima, and it's repeated for a total of seven times after each hakafa, the gaba is going to sing, Atkan hakafa for whatever your customary way of doing so, the way it's done. And it's, it's a great, great, great celebration. And of course, on Sunkas Torah night, you don't have to eat in the sukkah. So whether you're in the sukkah or out of the sukkah, many shuls go out into the streets to dance. It is a great way to celebrate. And I encourage everyone to come to shul and be part of this tremendous Sunkas Torah celebration. You know, when I'll tell you a story that comes to mind, but the Rebbe's father, Rabbi Yitzchak Schneerson, was exiled by the Soviet Union to a distant village in Kazakhstan for his crime of supporting Jews and their observance of Judaism during the Soviet era. And his wife, Rebetzin Khanna, she traveled to Kazakhstan to be there with her husband. And she would later relate that they spent their first Simchas Torah in exile cooped up in a small little room. And they didn't have even a Torah scroll with them. They didn't have, uh, they didn't even have a table in their room. And so Rabbi Levi Yitzchak had a holy book, a Tanya, which is the seminal text of Chabad Hasidism. And he held the Tanya to his heart, closed his eyes, and he danced between the two beds in, in the room with the best vigor and, and joy and celebration that he could muster. And she would tell that he had transported himself to a different place in time. Yes, he was exiled, but he wasn't confined in that small room of 
his incarceration. He had transcended the limitations of their exile. He plugged into the joy of Simchas Torah. We might not be Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Shnerson, but none of us are constrained. Our constraints are never as severe as incarceration that he experienced. And so I implore everyone to be there and celebrate and enjoy the Simchas Torah as it ought to be done. COVID's long over. It's now time to get out and to go to shul and be there and celebrate with the community this unbridled joy of Simchas Torah as it is. Don't forget that also on Shmini Atzeret Day, we, after the Torah reading, which will read, you know, the, the, the Torah tells us about the festival. On Shmini Atzeret, we observe Yisgar, and it is important that anyone who's, who's beloved departed is to be remembered. And so I encourage you to be in Shul on Shmini Atzeret for Yisgar to remember your beloved departed ones. And we'll be right back with some more thoughts on the Hakafot of Simchas Torah and some final thoughts before the festival. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivan. It's great to be celebrating with you here on this Chol Hamoed day as we celebrate the festive, joyous holiday of Sukkot. And we're talking about Simchas Torah, the upcoming final leg of this holiday. We've been talking so far about Hashanah Rabbah, Shmini Yatzeret, and Simchas Torah as the festivity, the joy, the celebrations continue through the night, dancing away and celebrating the Torah. And as we discussed, we celebrate with the Torah closed in the sense that we're all equal and celebrating the Torah that is the heritage and inheritance of every single Jew, regardless of how learned or illiterate they might be in the Torah. It is the inheritance of every single Jew. And therefore, my friends, make sure to be there to celebrate. Bring the kids, the grandparents, everyone should be present, men, women, children of all ages, to participate in the Shemini Atzeret and Simchas Torah celebrations. And of course, as we discussed till now, we covered the Shmini Atzeret celebrations and Simchas Torah evening. Let's talk about the morning because that's a little bit of a different service than what you might be used to because the Shachat morning service, although the service itself is the same, though on Simchas Torah in the Amida, we still say Shmini Atzeret HaChagazeh. There's no specific passage for Simchas Torah. It is a continuation of Shmini Atzeret. But after Hallel, usually you would continue on to the Torah reading. Whereas on Simcha Torah morning, instead we are going to go straight to Kiddush. In fact, in the Amida repetition, we're going to do the Birchat Kohanim. And one of the reasons for this is because a Kohen, a priest, is not allowed to give their blessing in an intoxicated state. And on Simcha's Torah, we want to get a little bit inebriated. We want to drink and say Lechayim, not to get too intoxicated, not to be drunk out of your wits, but to be a little bit in a spirited state. And therefore, the Kohanim give their blessings before the repetition, before, during the repetition of the Yom Tov Day Amida and of the Shachrit Amida. And then after that, we're going to 
have a little lachayim, say Kiddush, have some lachayims, have a bite to eat, and then we're going to dance hakafas for the third time. We're going to chant the Ataresa responsively as we did the previous day three times. We remove the Torah scrolls from the ark. We're going to dance around the bima. And this morning, we double up the prayers and circle the bima three and a half times, not the seven times as we did on the previous night. And then, of course, joyous, celebratory, great dancing begins. And after the dancing, all the Torah scrolls are put, are returned to the ark, and we read the final portion of the Torah, Vizot Abracha, the final Torah portion. Then, of course, it's done with great fanfare because we are concluding the Torah and we have, please God, internalized this message over the entire past year. And we're going to repeat the first five portions as many times as necessary until everyone in attendance has been called up to the Torah. A lot of people double up the aliyahs, that multiple people can get an aliyah together. And then we then invite all the children to stand on the bima for a very special reading called Kol Hana Arim. Of course, an adult is called up to the Torah for that aliyah. And we're told that it is a good omen, a blessing, if one wants to merit to have children. Many people have been blessed with taking this aliyah, the aliyah for the children, and indeed being blessed to have children of their own as well. So the person who's called up for that aliyah recites the blessings and all the children who are present or are called up with him recite it along with the person who's honored with that aliyah. And at this point, we call up the chasen Torah, the person who's being honored with the last portion of the Torah. And we read the final portion of the Torah. Of course, after the final verse, the entire community, the congregation calls out, chazak, chazak, venis chazek. Let us be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened, which in a sense reminds us of the past present and future, giving ourselves the strength to continue with the Torah study, to internalize the message that we've learned from the Torah previously, and to take it into our present moments, and of course, to carry us forth into the future. Then Hagba is performed on the first Torah scroll, and we open the second Torah scroll to the first passage in the Torah. We call up the Chassan Bereshit, the person who's honored with the first reading of the Torah, and we read the first section of the Torah, Bereshit Bara, like him in the beginning, God created. And so we begin the Torah again, shortly after, immediately after we've read the end. And there's some insights and ideas about that that in fact I want to talk about, but we'll get to that in a second. We just going through the sequence first where we then do Hagba on the second Torah, and a very rare occasion, happens a few times a year, we are then going to take out a third Torah, and as the Torah scrolls are being returned to the Ark over there, we're going to read, of course, from the portion of uh, Pinchas, where we describe the sacrifices that were offered on each of the festivals. And then there's a very special melody that's sung with to celebrate and rejoice with the Torah. And this is a day that we that we celebrate, we dance the Hakafas even more. And unlike any other any other legal book, does anybody ever lift it up and celebrate with it? This is the beauty of Simcha's Torah, that we celebrate our Torah, that we are so proud and grateful that God has given us the privilege. And when we say, that we were chosen amongst the nations, what does it mean to be the chosen people? It means that God has given us the privilege to study the Torah, to perform its mitzvahs, and we are grateful for that blessing, and we celebrate this on this day. Now let's just take a moment to think about it, to unpack this custom that we have every time we finish a book of the Torah, and we declare chazak, chazak, to give us the strength. What's this about? Of course, we do it every time we conclude a book of Torah. But particularly now, when we're concluding the entire Torah, 
And we're going to go back to the very beginning and read the first passage of the Torah immediately after we completed the last passage. And the idea behind this chant, of course, is we want to give each other strength. We want to wish each other the opportunity and the ability to return to the beginning, to learn it again. So we turn to the beginning as soon as we've read the end. And that's what we do anytime you finish a, you do a sim on a Mishnah, on a Masechet of Gemara. Uh, of course, it takes much longer. I was privileged a couple of years back to be at the Siyam Hashas in New York with over 100,000 people packed in the MetLife Stadium. It's quite an experience to behold and to celebrate the conclusion of an entire series of Jewish study. But us Jews, we never conclude. We always go right back to the beginning. So we're not just repeating the words. It's not just repeating what we learned the last time that we're going back. Every time we reread a book, we discover things that we missed the first time around. And this is especially true of the Torah, which has endless meaning. The Torah is more than just any book. The Torah is the way we connect with Hashem, right? It's the tool that refines our daily living. And so when we gain a deeper understanding and internalize its message and we permeate it in our bodies, it's really crucial to us and our mission in life. And the more we learn the Torah, the more we deepen our relationship with the Torah's author, of course, that is Hashem. So each time, so it is that every time we study the Torah, we plant seeds that are going to flower the next time around. And when we finish the entire Torah, we think we understand it all, right? I've comprehended. Look how much I've studied. That's when we have to remind ourselves. We go right back to the beginning. And what words do we read? In the very beginning. Because these words carry a very powerful message. And the message is that when we've completed the Torah, and we might think that we already have the entire Torah because we spent the whole year studying and learning it. The message is, yes, you've studied the entire written Torah. But you're still at the beginning. In fact, if you continue your studies, you'll see for yourself that everything that we already learned is insignificant relative to the entire true depth that the Torah contains. After all, it's divine wisdom. And so let me conclude with the final thought for today. And that is, if you think about the letters of the Torah, what letter does the Torah conclude with? The final words of the Torah is Le'enei Kol Yisrael, and that is the letter Lamed. Of course, what letter does the Torah start with? The Torah starts at the letter base. What if you put those two words together, the concluding letter, the Lamed of Yisrael and the Beis of Bereshis, what word do you get? That's right, you get the word Lev, which means a heart. And this teaches us that the Torah is the heart of the Jewish people. Like a heart, the Torah is the essence and deepest dimension of our lives. And just as the heart is the central, is so important, is vital to our biological life, so too the Torah is not just a passing interest. It is foundational to our continued existence. The Torah is the secret of Jewish survival. And we see that by the fact that any group of Jews that, God forbid, throughout our history we've seen, it's happened from time to time where people have abandoned the Torah way of life. Over time, unfortunately, they've disappeared from Judaism. The only way to guarantee the continuity, the sustenance, the preservation of Judaism is only through the study of Torah. And of course, we know the very famous story about Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai when he met with Vespasian in the time of the temple's destruction and Vespasian granted him three wishes. All three had to do with the preservation of Torah. Famously, he said the words, Ten li yavna give me the city of Yavna and its scholars and the doctor to heal Rabbi Tzadok. And it all had to do with the preservation of Torah because Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai realized that Judaism would not be preserved through a temple of bricks and mortar alone. And unfortunately, it was destroyed, and some people were upset with him about that. But he realized sooner or later, at some time in history, the temple would be destroyed. It was the envy of the nations. But 
He knew that Judaism would continue for eternity through the Torah. And people have risked their lives. Some of the greatest scholars and sages, rabbis and rabbitsons, private individuals, men and women and children alike throughout their history, who have made sure that Judaism would continue thanks to their preservation of Judaism. And so, my friends, my concluding thoughts for today, the month of Tishrei, we just spent a month filled with Jewish holidays and every single holiday nourishes our soul in a special way and offers us untold large and small experiences that really can sustain us for the rest of the year. Give us the energy, the courage, the fortitude, the inspiration, the motivation that we need to continue forth. And so the purpose of these holidays is not just to escape from the routine so we get a day off and eat some more food, but to fortify us spiritually so that we could re-enter our routines now and suffuse them with hope holiness and joy. And so my friends, now that the holidays are coming to their end, we're going to wish each other there's a customary greeting that we say at the end of the holidays, the Yaakov Halach Ladarka. Jacob, our patriarch at the Torah, tells us embarked on his journey. Indeed, my friends, the journey of the year is just beginning. And our soul, which each of our souls actually contains a spark of our patriarch Yaakov's soul, is very well fortified thanks to all of the celebrations that we just experienced in the past month of Tishrei. And so we are like these merchants who have returned from a long buying trip. And now we have to unpack our suitcases and see... What are the treasures? What's the merchandise that we purchased, that we acquired, that we acquainted ourselves with in the past month? And now we're going to put those all to the best use possible. And so, my friends, I'm sure we have suitcases filled with holy experiences that we've accumulated over the past, call it, 52 days since Rosh Chodesh Elul, when we began this journey. And so this is a time to unpack all those many memories and experiences and now file them properly so we could each use everything we accumulated and achieved in its appropriate time and place through the coming months of the year. My friends, let's hit the road, Jack. Wishing you all a meaningful, a beautiful, a fabulous, awesome and joyous Yom Tov. Wishing you the very best. Remember to aspire to inspire before you retire so you do not expire. And if indeed you're in that retirement age and stage of your life, please come join us. We are open at Chabad House, Chabad Seniors Club. Every single day, Monday through Friday, we have our daily shiurim live in person. And we would love for you to join us and participate in these classes. Please come join us. Wishing you a great yomtiv. Carpe diem. Seize every moment. Chag Sameach.